This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawks Bay. This is a program called A Political Perspective, and it's my pleasure, as always, to have on phone Stuart Nash, the MP for Labour, MP for Napier. How are you going, Stuart? I'm very well, thanks, Ken. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're just having a bit of a chin wag before we came to air, and you've been surrounded by COVID, but touch wood, as we say this, you haven't got it yourself yet. Well, I don't, it's quite random. So, you know, my 16 year old son picked it up, and he thinks from Napier Boys High, and I think they're about 300 boys away at Napier Boys High wow. at the moment, and then he gave it to us, and obviously, being 16, he wasn't boosted. But and yeah, you know, he's a fit guy. You know, he plays basketball for the for the top team. He's a he's a very good tennis player. He's a good athlete. But he um he was laid low. He was in bed for you know two or three days, just you know very very fatigued. And but he gave it to his twenty year old sister, who is uh, you know she's also very fit, and she hardly got a sniffle. But yeah, she you know, she was boosted. Um, so the relationship between those two wasn't that flash, as you can imagine, having to having to yeah. lock down for yes um uh, for for a week. High my high my I should say, and then someone gave it to my eight year old daughter, and you know, like a lot of young kids, she sort of fleared up and was pretty quick forty eight hours, and then bounced back. And, she, and Isabella gave it to my wife, and yeah, she she took a bit of a, a hit as well. She was quite fatigued, but you know, she, she was double vaxxed and boosted, and so you know, everyone's done the right thing. The kids are vaccinated, and and it has, like I said, it, it takes its toll, but then because you're vaccinated and, and fit and health, they bounce back. And thank uh, goodness everyone's back to uh, full fitness. That is good news. I see in England, uh, Omicron has sort of raised its ugly head and it's sort of a bit more, a bit more rampant over there. And the English government are now looking at giving a, a fourth, uh, well, a fourth, a second booster to people over 75 and people who might be, uh, you know, susceptible to illness. Have we thought about doing that? Yeah, well, I know the Israelis are doing this as well. I suppose one of the benefits we've got is we, had, is because we're sort of late to the party in terms of Omicron sweeping to our populations, it allows us to look at what other countries have actually done and, and modify our response accordingly. So at this point, you know, we still think there should be more people that are boosted. Um, we, we're still obviously in the red traffic light setting, and the, reason, and the traffic light settings were really about understanding um, the stress COVID was going to put in our health system, which seems to be coping at this point in time. And so we are keeping a close eye on what is going on overseas. It hasn't been discussed around the cabinet table, um, but but having, I, and by that I mean, you know, we haven't come up with a policy that at this point there will yeah. be a second booster, or there'll be a booster for those over a certain age. Um, but but we are always very much, you know, aware of what is going on overseas. We keep an, an eye on the trends and uh, and the actions that that, that other governments are putting in place. But at this point. There's, there's no um, plan to give everyone a, a second boost. But we're just, you know, yeah. never say never. Play by you. Uh, now, as a government, you've made a decision uh, about the rules around vaccines and mandates. Uh, as we record this program, the Prime Minister is going to announce it tomorrow. But um, I'm not quite sure why she doesn't just announce it. But can we expect good news? Can we expect a bit of a loosening? Can you give us a bit of the inside or...? Expect a pragmatic um, response to yep. what we're seeing in our community. So, you know, everything... What, what I do say is I've sat around the Cabinet table for nearly every single decision made around uh, our response to COVID. And at the heart of every single one of those responses or decisions made has been what is best for our, our communities, our families and, and our country. 
And, you know, the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister have both admitted we haven't always got it right, yep. but every decision is made with the, the best information we've got at hand at the time. And, you know, as we move through um, the process of, of COVID becoming sort of endemic in our communities, so will our response change. So, uh, you know, we've always said that everything will be um, is based on a health response, even though you know, the information we have when we make these decisions, we, we get it from the Treasury around the economic consequences, we get it from MSD around the social consequences. So we do get full some briefings on decisions uh, we have to make. But just expect a... You know, uh, a transition into the new world with some of the decisions she's going to make. Yeah. Now, New Zealand giving uh, non-lethal aid to, to Ukraine in the form of another $5 million worth of goods. Um, could we be doing any more? I mean, it's not like we can give them arms because we've hardly got any arms ourselves, have we? Well, we're not known as a country that sends, you know, troops or guns or, uh, or weapons into these sorts of um, conflicts. We, we never really have, uh, unless there's a very, very strong mandate. You know, when when we went into Iraq, for example, they were sort of reconstruction teams. Um, uh, you know, this, I, I think this is, well, Cabinet, and I obviously completely agree, thinks that this is the right response at this yeah. point in time. Should Putin be um, tried as a war criminal? Let's see what comes out of it. Um, you know, obviously... Uh, uh, there, there are very few people, from from presidents through to ordinary people in the street, who believe what what Putin has done is the right thing. Um, very, very hard to mount an argument that um, you know that this is well. I was going to say a legal war. That, that's not. That sounds like an oxymoron. Mm. A justifiable invasion, I suppose. I mean, this is a democratic country, uh, forty five million people. So again, we're talking about a big country. Um, it's you know, it, it, it sort of his belief around what Putin thinks he is going to achieve. Um, if he, you know, if he ends up conquering Ukraine and it, no, I don't know, and he wants to subsume it into Russia, well, that, that never works. You just look at the history of Europe to see what happens when, when a people or a population is subjugated. It always ends in conflict and revolution. I, it's sort of, you know, you, you, I've read a million articles on this. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I've read a lot of stuff on this and the and the reasons behind the war and when it started and how it started and what led up to it and, and the rationale. And it's, it's very, very hard to figure out why we've ended up where we have. Well, I remember the days when it was the USSR before it broke up. Can you sort of see it heading back that way? No, I, I really can't. Simply because the independent states that came out of the USSR are, are just that. They're independent. Um, a lot of them are thriving. Uh, and doing really well, and they have no desire to go back into uh, one massive big Soviet bloc in a way that they were pre-Cold War. Yeah, oh, sorry, I, sorry, during the Cold War. Yeah. You, know, you look at something like Estonia, for example. Yeah, but I suppose that's what, you, that's what Ukraine thought, didn't they? Well, this is the thing. Uh, but I read a very interesting article um, written by um, a foreign affairs expert in one of the top US universities. She said this probably started back in 2008, when, when NATO said that they would be open to the concept of the Ukraine and Georgia joining NATO. Mm. And at the time, the US Defence Secretary, I think, I think it was Robert Gates at the time, said, this is a bad idea because this will um, infuriate Russia. And the, this gentleman who wrote this article was saying that uh, that was very good advice at the time. No one really thought that this was going to be a good idea, but for some reason it went ahead, and therefore it goes back to decisions that were made 
Tucker said in 2008. Yeah. Who knows? But the bottom line is, you know, NATO was a defensive alliance. It's not a, an aggressive alliance. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, Putin has taken course of action he has. I also read a very interesting article that said 30 years ago, the Russian and the Chinese economies were about the same size. Now, the Chinese economy is 10 times the size of the Russian economy. Mm. And so, you know, as the geopolitical world has changed, it's hard to know if Putin's just, you know, seeking some form of relevance or if he, you know, or, or what he's going to do. But it is, you know, it is slightly concerning. You know, yeah, Russia is obviously a, a nuclear power. Um, it, the, the war, from all accounts, isn't going the way that he thought it would, which again brings up um, concerns around, OK, at what point does he start using weapons that you, know, you, you hope no, you know, no mm. uh, would ever use and hasn't used since the Second World War. So there's a, whole lot of, there's a whole lot of variables and scenarios that are in play at the moment. You know, the worst-case scenario is obviously t- terrible, but even the best-case scenario at this point in time isn't particularly flash. No, exactly. On a lighter note, um, international tourists due to our shores very shortly. Um, how long do you think, uh, as Minister of Tourism, how long do you think, put a timeline on it, that we might be getting back to business as, as usual? And what about the cruise ships? When, when can we expect them to come back to Napier? Yeah, business as usual, I would say four years. Yeah. Um, keeping in mind that we you know, had a strong focus on getting as many tourists in here as possible in a pre-COVID world. That's not what we want to see this time. We, you know, we're deliberately targeting um, our marketing towards uh, high-value tourists. Now, you know, high-value, please don't get that confused with high net worth. High-value tourists are those who come over here, they, they um, buy into our values, they, um, you know, they buy bottles of wine at our, at our wineries, they eat in our cafes, they, they treat our environment with absolute respect, they, they, go to, you know, they work hard to understand uh, the culture of the country as opposed to um, you know, people who come over here and put on Instagram the fact that they can survive on $10 a day. Yes. Having said that, of course, we're going to put out the warm Kiwi welcome mat to anyone who comes over here as a tourist. But in terms of targeting our marketing, it is towards those, those high-value tourists. But it could be, you know, the, the head of Heathrow has suggested that it may be four to five years before they see the same level of air traffic as they had pre-COVID. Wow. And I suspect it's going to take a while hmm. uh, for New Zealand to, to get back to where it was. But, but, you know, we're doing things in a different way this time. Sure. The other thing is it's going to be quite expensive to come back here. You know, the price of AF gas at the moment is, yeah. is horrendously expensive. Um, and you know we haven't got the level of plane services that we had pre-COVID, so it's going to be you know, it's going to be slightly harder. That's why we've really got to deliver on on the expectations of uh, of visitors who spend a lot of time, effort, and money to get here. What about cruise ships? When are you going to sign off on those? Yeah, still working hard with the cruise sector on that. It's really health and maritime New Zealand who are who are leading that. Um, what I will say is everything I've read about the cruise sector is this is you know it's a case study on. Uh, a sector of the tourist economy that was completely on its knees. You know, everyone thought of these things as um, smoking petri dishes. And what they have done to um, sort of uh, mend their brand uh, is, you know, it's fantastic. They have taken every uh, suggestion and precaution and really turned around the perception of the industry in the eyes of the global traveller. You know, here we're still slightly scarred, and certainly in the bay we're slightly scarred, because, of course, we had the Ruby Princess in here. But, the, but you know, any sort of recommendation on how they could do things better, they have taken up. So, you know, I take my hat off to, to one extent. But there's, but there's still a little bit of work to do before we get the cruise ships in. What's the thought for the week, Stuart? 
Well, thought for the week was going to be the opening of the, the borders for tourists. As a minister for tourism, we made this announcement last week, and the Prime Minister and I were down in Queenstown uh, on Friday. But obviously, this has huge impacts for the Bay because we're a big tourist sector, a tourist destination. Even though pre-COVID, we had about 80% domestic tourism and 20% internationals. But still, you know, the, so we're going to get Australians coming in here. That is, uh, that is fantastic. About 40% of our tourists pre-COVID were Australians, and they spent about $1.5 billion. So certainly a big part of the, uh, of the tourist sector. What we do know globally is there is a lot of pent-up demand, i.e. people have saved money, they want to get out and about, and they want to visit exciting and aspirational destinations, which is what we are. Mm. But back to our point, it will take a while for numbers to get back to where they were, but what we are doing is we're targeting those who are going to come over here, spend money in our cafes, wineries and restaurants, and buy into the regenerative tourism um, concept, which is basically uh, tourism adds value as opposed to extracts. And uh, Hamish Saxton at Hawke's Bay Tourism and the team does a really, really good job. Um, but so expect to see, uh, you know, expect to see Australians from, from mid-April and expect to see those from visa waiver countries, basically Europe and the States, um, uh, from the 1st of May onwards, so onwards and upwards, beginning of the end. Good on you. Good on you, Stuart. As always, my pleasure. Look after yourself. Talk to the same time, same place next week. Thanks, Kim. Much appreciate mate. Have a great week. Bye-bye. See you, This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.